With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket at the Ashes and a recap of the first test. Disappointing, of course, for England. They are leaving the Gavatoire, not exactly dismembered, but with their bodies and egos substantially bruised after that humiliating 10-wicket defeat. Australia just knocking off that 170 runs for the loss of no wickets. David Warner and Cameron Bancroft helping themselves to 80-odd not out each. And Simon Mann, all our fears have been realised. Yep, the game went pretty much as we imagined it would. Eventually, to start with, of course, England were right in the game and they played well for two and a half days and then eventually got blown away. And it's very early in the series, but a sort of pattern is emerging on these tours. You lose in Brisbane and it's very difficult to get back in the series. England, remember, have not lost in Brisbane and won an Ashes series in Australia for 63 years. So that is the size of their challenge. It's an incredible story, actually, that, that Australia have so often won at the Gabba. Uh, they haven't been beaten there since the 1980s, the late 1980s, by anybody. And I suppose, you know, people will be asking why can't teams beat Australia there. I think it it's a very sudden sort of stark awakening when you play a, a match at the Gabba because of the, the extra bounce in the pitch and the lack of sideways movement as well. It just catches you unawares, I think, especially if it is the first test of a series. And I think, you know, it's a real proper examination of your cricketing skills and obviously your courage to an extent as well with the ball you know, heading for your for your bonds quite often. But because of that extra bounce, it does just really examine your, your technique. And there were a few dismissals of England batsmen that, that sort of illustrated that. I thought James Vince in the second innings, you know, got a, a bit of extra bounce from Josh Hazelwood and got an edge to, to second slip. You wouldn't get that kind of bounce off, a, off an English pitch generally. Uh, there was also the the times that, that batsmen were caught hooking where the ball just bounced a bit extra and they went to try and play the hook shot and might have got a top edge for six on a smallish English ground or the ball wouldn't have got up quite as high and they've been able to control the shot, even Alistair Cook's hook shot as well. And just generally, that, that sort of extra bounce disconcerts batsmen, especially when it's coming at you at nearly 90 miles an hour or over 90 miles an hour. It just hits the top of the bat, catches the, the blade a little bit earlier than you're expecting. And it's hard to prepare for that. And, of course, with the ball, the ball doesn't do much uh, off the pitch or in the air. So you have to have something extra. You have to have that bit of extra pace and the, the, the ability to get the ball up sort of shoulder high or get the ball to bounce from a length as 
the, uh, the the quickest of the Australian bowlers, Pat, Pat Cummings, did on a number of occasions. And it disconcerts the batsman when you get that sort of lift. But when you don't, and the ball is coming on to the bat at a nice height, as Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad and, and the others were generally, you know, you, you're quite comfortable at the crease. And so you do have to find something else. I, I suppose we should also mention Nathan Lyon, who, who just got that extra bit of fizz and, and spin and bounce as well with, with his off spinners, which... Moen Ali wasn't able to to match because partly of his injury, but partly because he's just not that good a bowler anyway. And so it it, it really does explore your your technique and and your courage and your ability to handle those sort of raw ingredients of Australia. And England failed them, I'm afraid. Yes, and it comes right at the start of the series as well. It's the first match of the series. You know, if it was the third match, then perhaps you'd have time just to adjust to the whole experience of playing that in the the heat of the battle in Australian conditions. But teams just don't get that preparation. I was mentioning um, earlier in the week that it was 1986, the last time England played at the Gabba in a warm-up match before they played a test match at the Gabba. They played against Queens and lost by five wickets. Then they went off and played somewhere else and then came back to the Gabba for the first test match. So at least they were used to the conditions. Not the case anymore. Touring teams, well, they don't have that much preparation and they don't have preparation on Gabba-type surfaces. And also as well, probably you know, just generally in cricket, they don't come up against sides like Australia with their three pace bowlers. And you know, they, are, they are quality bowlers. Perhaps Mitchell Stark wasn't quite at his best in this test match, but, but Hazelwood's always a challenge. And I thought Cummings had a really good first Ashes test match. Yeah, I mean, exactly right. And uh, those three bowlers are capable of high 80s and over 90 miles an hour, which you don't see that often in even test cricket these days. Obviously, South Africa have, well, a couple of bowlers who can touch the high 80s miles an hour, Rabada and and Morley Morkel, Stain not really featuring anymore. But it is reminiscent more of the sort of West Indies attacks we saw in the 1980s, where you got pretty much three or even four fast bowlers with the ball coming at chest high or, or even higher from not far short of a length. The big boundaries are, are a factor as well. You can't get away with top edges in the same way as you can maybe in England. So you have to play the shots more uh, cleanly. You have to hit the ball better. You have to control the shot better. And the, the person who illustrated that, I suppose, most of all was, was Steve Smith. And they always talk about, the Australians always talk about the captain, you know, putting down a marker at the start of the series. It was something Ricky Ponting and before him, Steve Wall like to do to try and you know get a hundred early in the series and, and make really sure that they have the authority and, and the confidence to, to lead and Steve Smith's absolutely done that and England have are no nearer finding an answer to how to get him out no absolutely not well you know, one way uh, is to not get him into bat at all which of course happened on the the final day you know he hasn't batted in the second thing so now they only have to get him out eight times in this series one not out they got everyone out at the other end now, of course I'm being slightly flippant Australia coasted to victory on the final day England never really looked like taking a wicket I mean the real talk on the the final day was the that what do you call it do you call it butt gate I mean it always gets a gate attached to any sort of controversy but um Johnny Bairstow uh, and his clash with Cameron Bancroft in Perth 
at the start of the tour on the first evening of the tour. And it was just a remarkable day. I've never been to cricket press conferences like the ones that I went to today. Johnny Besto was, was wheeled out for 40, 50 seconds. He wasn't going to answer any questions. He was just going to say what happened. Well, he didn't quite say what happened. He just said, well, it was just sort of, you know, hijinks, nothing malicious in it at all in the incident that he didn't even refer to specifically. So we were none the wiser. Then Trevor Bayliss, who was... He was wheeled in as well. He was going to answer questions. And he said something like, well, they touched heads, but it wasn't a headbutt. So Trevor Bayliss uh, did his press conference. And then Cameron Bancroft came in. And in a way, Cameron Bancroft helped Johnny Bairstow because he helped to clarify. He actually explained in detail exactly what happened. And basically what happened was there was a headbutt, but it was sort of like a friendly headbutt, which, you know, Cameron Bancroft said he found bizarre. He said, wow, you know, what, what a strange way to greet someone. But he accepted there was nothing malicious in it. It was an utterly surreal day at the Gabba and you know, nothing to do with the cricket at all. It was all to do with something that happened right at the start of the tour that's all come to light during this test match. Um, I, I think that's the end of it. You know, basically, it's the end of it. Of course, it, it will bubble on. And also, it does raise questions about you know, England players not allowing themselves to be in that position. I think that was one of the points that Trevor Bayliss made is you know we mustn't give any ammunition to Australia or the Australian media to sort of get on top of us and I think they he was disappointed that this incident had come up because he just felt it was so unnecessary both Bairstow and Bayliss said you know mountain has been made out of a molehill but there there is a lesson here for England not to let these things happen you can think of previous tours remember remember the menus Simon that were left around this England had these whole, whole list list of requirements of, of the food they wanted to eat and that you know they it happened to be left around and it was it got into the hands of the Australian media it was just sort of another stick with which to beat you and it seems to happen very frequently out here. They've got to stop it happening and just sort of focus on the cricket. They're very good, the Australian media, and indeed the, the players and the, and the coaching staff are kind of m- manipulating these sort of situations. I remember another one was John Buchanan when he was coach. They had a, a list of how they were going to get each of the New Zealand players out, which was stealthily slipped under each New Zealand player's hotel bedroom door. You know, So they wake up in the morning and hear all the plans for how they're going to get everybody, each one of the New Zealand players out, just to sort of slightly undermine their, their general uh, you know, disposition. And, of course, the, the players are very good also at milking these situations. It all came to light because you saw quite a lot of verbals being directed at Johnny Verso when he came out to bat in the second innings. And uh, also, I, I noticed there was some a conversation between Jimmy Anderson and, and David Warner when, when Anderson was batting as well. And people will pick up on the stump microphones what is being said and uh, you know the alleged line from David Warren was something about your guys shouldn't be headbutting our mate and all that so it's it's just a, a way of, of trying to undermine England as as in as many ways as possible and you can see why uh, England captains gradually lose their hair when they're captaining especially in Australia Joe Root so far has a fine head of hair but I bet he'd be pulling a few strands of it tonight I think England do have a bit of an issue with this sort of late night activity. I'm not saying they're drinkers, but if you look at the way they they do go out after play, and I've seen them in hotel bars and so on, having a few drinks after a, a game. I mean, I you do have to to wind down and relax after a long day in the field. But it, you know, nowadays Test cricket, international cricket is a is a very high profile, very highly paid occupation. 
they have to be very fit to to be able to deliver and and standards of fitness are, are, are very highly monitored and carefully monitored now in, in international cricket and I compare say the England team to the England rugby team of 2003 which won the World Cup and I sort of interacted with them quite a lot on various ways they practiced abstinence throughout their sort of seven eight months you know someone like Matt Dawson didn't drink at all for seven or eight months not just after the game he didn't drink or but you know the week before the, the big matches it was for seven or eight months I'm not suggesting that England players should do that but they as soon as you go to a bar as soon as you go to a pub things can escalate and, you know, misapprehensions can be taken, photos can be taken, the press can use all that kind of thing. They, they have to be whiter than white, especially after the Stokes incident. It opens up a whole debate, doesn't it, about sportsmen and women drinking at all. I mean, clearly alcohol does not benefit you in, in, in the sporting arena. It doesn't aid your performance. It undermines your performance. But the, the other side of it is you have to relax, unwind as well. I mean, I suppose it depends, a lot of it depends on the, the culture in which you were brought up. If alcohol is part of your, your life from a, a very young age, it's very difficult to resist it. And it, it is so much part of sport, you know, in, in terms of things like sponsorship or around, you know, around the grounds, you know, cricket grounds in England. It's so much part of it. Going to the cricket is about socialising and, and drink is involved in that as well. I mean, there's a whole debate about it, whether you can be, you know, be without alcohol for four or five months away. You know, you've that feeling you've got, you've got to go out and socialise sometime and, and let your hair down, especially on these long tours. I mean, well, you know, the, the debate will go on. I mean, Trevor Bayliss was asked about a drinking culture within the England side, and he, said, he basically said, our team does not drink more or less than any other international side or any other side that he's been associated with. That's probably true, but I think in two ways it probably does hold the England team back. And the first way is that you're quite right, alcohol does inhibit your you know, blood flow and, and, and generally your fitness. I know Phil Scott, the trainer, has, has worked out that you know, if you have a, a few beers overnight, it reduces your performance the next day by at least 10%, and they've done a lot of scientific studies on that. The other thing is that we are trying in England to, to get more and more you know, South Asians and people from the Asian community involved in the game, many of whom absolutely abhor alcohol you know the muslim community for instance you know do not touch alcohol at all and i think it does have a sort of alienating effect on some of them actually the fact that there is still a a, a drinking habit in english cricket i remember when england beat south africa at old trafford last summer and there was the inevitable spraying of champagne over the team when they posed for the photographs after the match and there was one person conspicuously missing from that shot and it was moen ali who came kept very far away from the team shot as the champagne was was being sprayed and you know some people would have thought well that's not very friendly you know that's not very sociable he's he's feeling alienated but it wasn't that it's just that he doesn't want to get anywhere near any alcohol so i think that it, it is a th- a thing that England really have to think seriously about, not just in the way that it, it can inhibit performance and create these kind of stories, but also because it does sort of alienate a, a large community of people who want to play cricket. There's also something perverse that happened after the fourth day's play as well. You know, you talked about Moen Ali there and what he must think about what goes on within the dressing room. Of course, you know, we, we don't know his views on the Ben Stokes situation, but last night 
Johnny Bester was supposed to come out and speak to the press after the, the, the fourth day. I went over and had a chat with Alison Mitchell, who's working for BT Sport, and I said to her, who are we getting tonight? She said, oh, it's Johnny Bairstow. So I went back to my position, and five minutes later, out comes Mo and Ali. Of course, the reason Mo and Ali has to come out is because Johnny Bairstow was supposed to come out, but suddenly this whole issue arises about the, the headbutting incident in Perth. So they, you know, suddenly everyone says, oh, no, we can't have Johnny Bairstow. You know, we haven't thought through what he's going to say and what if he's asked questions about it. So you know, poor old Mo and Ali is wheeled out, you know, who had that, the stumping incident and didn't bowl particularly well. He has to stand there and say, you know, I was really disappointed with how I bowled. So it was almost as if he, you know, he was having to to do the job that really should have been someone else's role. OK, well, lots of problems for England to deal with in the, the, the few days leading up to the Adelaide Test. After the break, we'll look ahead to that Adelaide Test and what options might be available for England. OK, so England limp slightly wearily, slightly uh, sadly, slightly gloomily to Adelaide uh, to prepare for the day-night test, which I suppose, in a way, comes at a good time because you feel at least bowling with a pink ball under lights, that might suit the England seam attack a little bit more. Yep, that's, I mean, that's the feeling here, that if England have got a chance of winning one test match above all the test matches in the series, Adelaide is the one because it is a day-night pink ball test match. Not that England have played a great deal of pink ball test cricket, of course. They've only played that one match. They did take 19 wickets in a day against the West Indies. Who, Having, having said that, West Indies were pretty feeble in that test match, which made their win at Headingley all the more remarkable. England have had that warm-up game at Adelaide, so they know the conditions down there in Adelaide. What about changes? I mean, I, I've been thinking about this. I just don't see that England have much room for manoeuvre when it comes to changes the only one I can see is a possibility is Overton for ball but you know batsmen are given another chance aren't they if they fail if a batsman has two low scores Jake Ball didn't bowl particularly well in this match he didn't look particularly convincing but then he hasn't had a great deal of bowling so you'd think if they were consistent they'd say right same again Ball just have to bowl better in the in the second test match they're not going to drop Anderson or Broad and Chris Wokes Ditto. I mean, he didn't have a great game either, but he has to play. He gives some balance at the bottom of the order. You know, he got some runs in that partnership with Johnny Bairstow. So he he's going to play. So that's the only change that I can see, unless, of course, there are some injuries. Well, I think that uh, you're absolutely right there. And I think this Adelaide pit pitch and the pink ball will suit the England bowlers more. I think Jake Ball and Chris Wokes will find that, that the conditions are a little bit more to their liking. So I, I wouldn't change the bowling attack. I mean, I think I would look at putting Bairstow at number six and, and Moen at seven, even though Moen was, was one of the most proactive batsmen in, in either innings. I, I just think feel a bit more secure somehow with Bairstow at six. He's got a he's got a bit more of a of a reliable defence than Moen, who is a is a bit of a sketchy batsman at times, even though he's he's obviously richly talented and, and hits gorgeous shots. I feel somehow that, that Bairstow gives a bit more resolution and solidity to, to the batting order if he was at number six. They've just got to play better, basically, and, and learn from their mistakes. I mean, it's something that has always said after test matches, we can learn from it. Well, they've got to learn quickly. I think they'll find Adelaide maybe a touch easier for things that like... The, the bounce isn't quite as high there. There are short square boundaries and England batsmen looking to pull and cut will find that more to their liking. So, uh, you know, I think that they should have a more comfortable experience at Adelaide, but they've still got to be able to judge 
which balls to hook and which balls to leave and which balls to duck and wear down the opposition much better. Me be more aggressive against Nathan Lyon, who conceded only two runs and over in both innings and allowed the, the faster bowlers to rotate much easier than they should have been able to. They, England have got to wear down the, the Australian bowlers more effectively, bat longer. Joe Root said they should have scored 400, and they should. And if you do get 400, you've got more chance of... Of just plugging away at the Australian batsmen and, and taking wickets and getting them under pressure. Obviously, long term, what's the situation with Mark Wood? Because you feel that one thing that England really, really do need is pace, and they haven't got it at the moment. And Mark Wood's out in Australia. Yeah, he's out with the Lions, and he's playing a three-day game at the moment up here in Queensland. I suppose it depends how he comes through that. There's no chance of him playing in Adelaide in the second Test match, but further down the line, you know, possibly in Perth in the third Test match, uh, the Lions go from Queensland over to Perth, so they're sort of shadowing the Test team, if you like. You're, you're right, England England do need that, that bit of pace. Australia have got that, and they can also sort of ram it up England as well. You know, the, when, when the lower order c- come in you know, for the rest of the series, they know they're just going to be bombed, and Australia have said that. Steve Smith said at his press conference today, you know, we're going to go hard at the tail, that, or the, the, the lower order, and they go pretty hard at the top order as well. That is going to continue, and it'd be, it would be nice to have something to come back with to try to you know, ruffle the Australia tail as well. Cummings is a good player at, at number nine, um, but we, you know, he, they, well, England didn't have the firepower to, to bomb him and really sort of test him out on that uh, second day. So those are the problems that England have. Uh, the, the injury to Wood is obviously a disappointment, and, and also the fact that the Stokes is, you know, we come back to Stokes again. The fact that Stokes is not here, he's got that bit of devil in him as well, and he's not here. England, England, England lacked that bit of devil in their attack is you know it's a little bit samey but there are no obvious solutions I suppose uh, you know people will say well what about the weather forecast for Adelaide and there was a, a famous test match that the one that Cook got a, a lot of runs when it was actually 38 degrees I remember there but I suppose uh, actually it's less relevant for a day night test because it starts in the afternoon and by evening it'll be a very pleasant time to play so actually that's another thing that slightly suits England in that the, the conditions that the the, the temperature will not be as uncomfortable as it might have been in Adelaide during the day or in Brisbane. Well, the, the other thing as well, Simon, is that the forecast for Adelaide for the start of the, the Test match is for, is for cool weather, cool by Adelaide standards. Anyway, we're heading off there and the temperature at the moment is in, in the mid-30s, so very hot this week, but by the, the weekend... Some rain is forecast on, on Friday, the day before the game, around about 20 degrees. I think the first day of the game, forecast temperature of about 19 degrees, so almost sort of English weather as well. Uh, then that's during the day. I mean, goodness knows what it's like going to be in the evening. It'll be, it'll be back, back to that test match at Edgbaston again, where everyone was all sitting in jumpers and coats in the crowd. So I... You look, everyone's looking forward to the, a day-night test match at the Adelaide Oval, expecting nice warm temperatures, you know, lovely warm evening, what it's like in, in Australia for, for day-night matches. It's, it, it just feels right, the temperature right, but it might not be the case. It might be a little bit chilly, and, uh, you know, who, who knows? That might have an effect. There, there might, the ball might zip around. It's going to be fascinating to see that balance between cricket in the light and cricket under the lights. Adelaide and that, I mean that I think that's the feeling and, and who who gets lucky who's going to be batting in that difficult twilight or nighttime period and, and you know, that that has a 
you know, it's, it's a bit like, I suppose, at, at the start of a day's play, isn't it? If it's overcast and, and then it brightens up. So that's going to be a, another issue, another factor to sort of throw into the, the melting pot for the, for the Adelaide Test match. Well, I hope you've remembered your fleece, uh, which isn't something you normally pack for Australia, but you might need it for the coolish evenings at the end of the Adelaide Test match days. And uh, we'll we'll finish there, I think. It would be nice to hear from you, the listeners, anything that you want us to discuss, any comments that you have. So please leave the review on iTunes. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear what people have got to say, whether people still think England can win the Ashes. I was quite pessimistic at the start. I'm still pessimistic. Or not pessimistic, that's not the right word. Realistic, I think. Realistic is the word about England's chances in this series. They really have to win in Adelaide if they are to turn this series around. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you on Friday. Podcast Network.